Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time to bring the orange. And today I am pleased to welcome Scott Dedman, our AVP of Global Strategy and Solutions. And Scott, you are in town this week. We got to spend a little time in the office yesterday, but I'm so thrilled to have you on the pod for the first time. Welcome. Thank you, Rob. I'm honored to be here. And uh, yeah, I've come all the way to Mountain View for, just for this podcast. How has it been to spend some time with the leadership team this week? I know I was in a meeting with you yesterday, but I just, the interaction, uh, the ability to get things done a little more easily, uh, it's got to feel pretty good this week. Right, yeah, seriously, it's good to be, it's good to be in the office. It's good to be with the team. You know, you get so much more interaction. It's surprising um, just how much more you get done and you forget that, you take a little bit more time, you can be a little bit more thoughtful, you can go a little bit deeper. And of course you get to have lunch and dinner and breakfast and socialize and see your friends again. I'm, I'm out on the road all the time now. That's great, I'm happy to hear it. And um, I love what we're gonna cover today and I wanna get a little bit of background just on you and what brought you to Pure. But I think the big question that I'm really interested in getting your input that many of our listeners uh, particularly my friend David Huskisson, will want to know, is Chelsea going to be able to remain in the third spot for the Champions League, or are they going to lose points to Arsenal and Tottenham? Again, sorry for those that don't do Premier League here, but when I get somebody like Scott on here, I, I've got to get some input on Chelsea's position right now in the table. Oh, it's, it's a tough question, Rob. I'm a Chelsea fan, man and boy. Four generations, and uh, Fantastic. It, it's heartbreaking that we're not winning everything. Um, but to imagine losing third spot to Arsenal would be uh, a travesty. So uh, <laughs> I think they've only got to win two out of the three or four games left to uh, to secure it. But we have had a bit of a wobble of late. Yeah, for those listeners not as inclined but want to check it out, Chelsea is sitting a few points above Arsenal and Tottenham, and have a chance to make the Champions League. So it will be a, a fun run in over the next few weeks with the last few games, the last few matches. Four generations, really. That is, and again, that shows the history of the of the club. Sometimes there's some chance about blank club, no history, but that goes way back, right? Absolutely, over a hundred years old. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no, no end of drama either, just for a mature club. I, if you've not been following the news, Roman Abramovich is the owner of the club and he's actually been banned by the British government because of his connections to the Russian uh, leadership. So he's having to sell the club and won't be able to profit from the proceeds. Two and a half billion dollars we're talking about. Well, there's implications for the players on the squad as well and whether they're going to stay you know next year given some of the turmoil yeah stuff. i hope they do it's going to be pretty difficult if i have to go out and play for them yeah that's right what position would you play if you had to go out there what did you what did you <laughs> play really up? on the bench ideally <laughs> sounds like my basketball career in uh, high school <laughs> as well you know thir 13th person uh full full-time bench uh warmer well yeah um let's get back to you a little bit just because you're new to the program here and I want to understand how you came to Pure and, and a little bit on your background, right? And, and you kind of navigated through a, a number of different companies, but, but kind of the short shrift on, on you know, how you made it to Pure and what you've done here, because I know you've gone through a few different roles and, and iterations before landing where you are now. 
I, I have, yeah. I won't give you the full life story, but uh, I was 20 years as a, uh, as a consultant and uh, a, a solution architect um, in managed services and transformation I outsourcing. So I worked for IBM Global Services and HP Enterprise Services and, um, and did, a, did a deal back in 2015, $3 billion cloud transformation with a, uh, a large investment bank. Um, and that's where I met Pure. They, uh, they came in and they were loved by the bank and provided storage. So I was effectively by proxy a customer first. Uh, my employer owned the assets and managed the assets and drove the transformation. And, uh, you know, like um, like Remington, I, I liked it so much, I joined the company. <laughs> they came in to, uh, to build the GSI team with Will Else on the sales side. Um, so global pre-sales technical leader. Um, built that up for a couple of years, took on the MSPs and service providers, took on the uh, partner technical managers, had a lovely time looking after all of our routes to market from technical pre-sales. Then last year, I did a rotation into a corporate role, driving our digital strategy and, and looking at digital transformation. Um, and now I'm back home in the SE organization as part of the leadership, looking after uh, global strategy and solutions, which is the team that includes all the principal technologists and the FSAs. So uh, a quick shout to anybody listening that uh, isn't always calling up their principals and their FSAs. You should definitely do it. There's a there's a bunch of rock stars in there. They will they will get involved with your customer and blow their minds. Yeah, and for you know for any customer partners listening out there these are also great resources to come in and, and answer the hard questions and and actually they're they're frequently guests on this program right we have the field solution architects who tend to specialize in solution areas you know be it databases or be it in cloud or right. containers or vmware and then you have the principal technologists who are amazing individuals who are you know a mile wide and many miles deep in in various areas and and folks will be very familiar with with andrew andrew miller and jd wallace and another of other individuals so for you know don't tell anyone scott but your team is really one of my favorite teams to, to work with. Of course they are. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. And part of it's because you're at the helm as well. No. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, what have you learned so far early on about, you know, about this new role, about managing the team with, with all these really high driven, uh, really sharp individuals? Is it just about pointing them in a direction or are there some more dramatic things that, that you're looking at? Well, I, I spent my first 30 days, um, as any good lead should, listening. Um, I spoke to everybody in the team. Um, I spoke to everybody in our stakeholder group. I, uh, I even speak to uh, customers and partners to, to try and understand what it is that we can do for the most value. Because these guys do a lot. You know, they appear on your podcast and yeah. go out and see customers and they create and drive proof of concepts and they write solution documentation. A lot of them have been in the chair. You know, we tend to hire from the customer and they have run the Oracle environment or they have built VMware private clouds, etc. So, you know, these people are high performing, high seniority, self-driven. They, they don't really need managing. So it is just a case of trying to crowdsource the best initiatives that are going to deliver the best value for our customers and our partners and put it into a program of work and then try our best to knock all the obstacles out of the way to make them successful. Yeah, makes sense. And I know we're also leveraging them 
quite heavily at our upcoming Accelerate. So I'll pause a moment and plug really quickly for everyone, purestorage.com slash Accelerate. You can register right now for the virtual experience. And we are also looking for people that want to come and experience customers and partners, prospects want to come to the in-person event. It's going to be a hybrid experience and uh, I'm really, really excited about it. Let's shift gears because I, I wanted to bring you on today because I, I saw something interesting that you had hmm. uh, created in internally, but also it's something I think that, that's very timely, right? In, in that at Pure, in my experience here, we're really good at getting excited about the the individual components, the the arrays or the software or you know purity or pure one, but we really need to speak to our customers relative to the the portfolio, and then also map that to some of the challenges with the traditional data management model. And you coming from a consulting background of so many years, you've seen that challenge and what happens there over and over again. So how would you characterize, let's say the traditional or the legacy data management model? Walk us through what happens when the business has a requirement to, to deliver storage. What does that look like? Yeah, I, would, I was trying to look at, um, you know, the, the better together story mm -hmm. about Pure. So putting it in the context, as you said, the traditional storage lifecycle where you know, there's numerous levels of manual processes at every stage that kind of add cost and complexity and time, starting with the demand. Obviously, you know, the business is giving you demand signals um, that have functional or non-functional requirements. Then your storage architect does the design and specifies the protocols and the arrays in, in a traditional life cycle. Then, of course, the procurement team go off and purchase the array um, and drive the acquisition. Then, of course, when it's arrived, you got the um, the storage implementation team and the developers installing and configuring and integrating and tuning it for the application. And then, of course, once you got it into business as usual, you're, you're driving change. So there's always capacity expansions and workload mobility and performance upgrades and fleet rebalancing. All of that involves disruption and cost, and all of it's very rigid. You know, you, you've got to kind of be some kind of a seer who can predict the performance, capacity, availability requirements of five years in the future, which is why there's so much stranded asset out there in data centers, arrays that are 10% full and uh, arrays that are just ticking over and the performance isn't touching the sides, which is clearly wasted cost and wasted human effort. Right, sort of that technical debt that uh, our good friend, Mr. Sean Rosemarin likes to bring up periodically when I bring right. him on here. But also I think, and this is something again from your experience on, on the consulting side and, and with SIs, just the vast people capital required to manage all this, right? I mean, I think yeah. you think in terms of just the storage admins, but you've got DBAs downstream and you've got application developers downstream. Uh, you mentioned the procurement arm and, and you know, who knows how long that process takes. And that's usually a whole separate department that may not be even in tune with the business requirements. Right. I remember I had an analyst on one time who said companies would do a lot better if IT invested more time understanding the business 
and the business leaders took more time understanding IT and they would meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think that's a you you've brought up a wonderful example of where there where there is where there are gaps, right? Well, with it, that. It, it's absolutely at the front of my mind, Rob, from the job I was doing last year on the company's digital strategy and transformation. It 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 is like you need to bring the two parties together, IT and the business, to have a, a much better conversation. And then, of course, you get you build empathy. So coming into the office and, and seeing all your friends again, you, if you get in a room and you start to understand each other, it's, oh, okay, now I understand why you're having a bit of trouble or this is taking a little bit of time or you're not quite clear on the requirement and you solve it together. And in big, big companies, it's so hard, which is why you need a better approach to solve some of these problems. Exactly. And, and I think that's where I loved the, the, the narrative that you were constructing. And I think one of the one of the areas that really completes the portfolio puzzle, if you will, is is around fusion. Right. And so we, we've talked yeah. fusion a little bit. But, you know, as we get into what the pure alternative is and and how we can help with this time consuming process, what, what role, as Fusion starts to roll out, what role does that play to fix some of these issues, both from, from a storage side as well as you know, the application side where maybe we're now abstracting some of the things that they had to get involved in previously? Right. Well, it, it's kind of like the, the one ring to rule them all. <laughs> you know, when, when you look at any company that grows from a single product to a, a broad portfolio, you need something that stitches it all together. You know, people will be familiar with Apple and, and their portfolio. I think that you know, out when you buy into that ecosystem, you buy your phone and you've probably got the laptop and you've got the iMac and then you've got the software subscriptions and then you've got the iPad and all of it comes together in one account. You manage everything you've got, all your subscriptions and your management of everything is seamlessly integrated across every, every device. And Fusion does something similar for everything that our customers have from Pure. You know, we've, we've grown up and added Flash Array, Flash Blade, Portworks, and numerous sort of variations within, so Flash Array X and Flash Array C, that do different jobs and provide, you know, important coverage across different workloads. But you need something that can then manage that at scale across a fleet. So, you know, I think Fusion provides that. And more importantly, it takes some of that human capital we were just talking about and replaces it with automation. So all you do is you take that first step, the business demand, and then a data architect creates a set of policy-based automation where you then just fill in the requirements as service levels and functional and non-functional requirements of the data services and push a button and boom, it, the fleet gets managed and the workloads get put in the right places and it's all available on demand. And of course, extending the story, the consumption model of Pure as a Service underpins that, so no need for a procurement process anymore. Mm -hmm. Capacity is delivered where it's needed based on the service demand and paid for based on consumption and Pure underwrites that with guarantees for capacity and performance. 
yeah, hitting the SLAs that, that customers need that goes directly to that design part that you were mentioning that was part of the challenge. And I love the piece that you're mentioning here just around the, the acquisition or perhaps the procurement. And for folks that have been keeping a close look on what's been going on in Pure One, right, the engine that's underlying this, Scott, when you now have the ability to not only evaluate within Pure One, right, to go in and look at, well, what does this port work service do for me? What are the details? But now the, 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 the experience team has created the ability to actually transact and, and create the services that you need on demand on the fly, which then kind of you know, negates some of that, that long lengthy time in the black box of doing procurement. Uh, the, the pure one piece in the transact just ends up being really powerful. It, it is, isn't it? And you know, I think a lot of companies have been driven by the pandemic to assess their digital services and, and particularly move to online customer self-service. And that's where that's where Prakash and the and the Pure One team are going. Um, you know, lots of investment is going into making it easier for our customers if they want to self-serve through service levels and add capacity and add performance um, in different locations. And, uh, and it's, all, it's all done with a very short cycle time, uh, which I think is, is uh, you know, really valuable. Yeah, I think the combination and what we're getting to is the combination of, of Fusion and uh, Pure as a Service, of course, Evergreen, right, is, is included in that and Pure One. Exactly provides a, a couple things, right? And you touched on this relative to Fusion, right? When you say any workload or any protocol, any SLA, any performance capacity, RTO, I mean, we could get into the whole data protection side, price, and then you even mentioned location, right? Think about enterprises and how they may have five, 10, 20 different locations. We can hit all those variables, right? Whatever right. customers want. And you, you, just, you just template it in Fusion. So as we said, the demand comes in just like the traditional life cycle, but then all the rest of those steps that we went through from, you know, the design to the purchasing, to the configuration, to the ongoing change is all displaced because you've got policy-based templates where you input the workload and the protocol, as you said, your availability service level, your performance service level, your capacity forecast, your required RTO and RPO, which, as you mentioned, data protection, that drives the way that you protect the data beyond just storage it, uh, the primary storage. Price point is always a non-functional requirement because there's certain things that are mission critical that you know price isn't the first consideration, but other things like your uh, all the cat video repository for your staff that maybe is less price sensitive. And uh, then you've got the location, like you said, that, that's, a, that's the sort of interesting constraint that you have when it's a subscription service and all software and policy driven, apart from you have a physical asset as well. And data has gravity. So there's a lot of great work going on with something behind the scenes, some of which is about to be announced, uh, Accelerate, which will allow our customers to start being much more flexible with that capacity. And then there might be other specific requirements. We put all of that into the hopper as the business demand, and that drives you to a set of service levels. And like you said, in Pure One, you can already see them. You can see the, the block, capacity, performance, premium, and ultra 
service levels, which have different architectural blueprints behind them. You can see the premium and ultra um, unified fast file and object services, and you can see Portworx obviously for enterprise level container uh, stateful applications. So that, that gives you all of those primary services that can be configured to be automatically deployed and run. And then behind that, like we said, the data protection services, ranging from just switching on safe mode to, which is kind of the obvious baseline to protect from ransomware attack through cold archive and streaming local backups to using snapshots, using a combination of snaps and backups so that you can not only recover from data loss and corruption, but you can also speed up the ability to, I don't know, have, having secondary databases cloned for testing or do smaller recoveries um, with a shorter R RTO. All the way up to three side high availability with active active synchronous replication and snapshots and man you can have all sorts of configurations and we've got some best practices but those two layers primary storage for those different protocols that we talked about and different availability and capacity and performance and then the data protection services behind all managed automatically through policy how cool is that Super cool. I think there was a fast food company, I won't name branding, but they had a tagline for a while that was have it your way, right? And so that's what that's what comes to, to mind right now, which is the, the have it your way. I'm sure listeners that that's another one of my really fresh 1980s reference since I am very Gen X-y, but uh, that, that, that's really what comes to mind. Uh, Scott, I'll, something comes to mind that, that perhaps is a little controversial and we hit this sometimes where you have individuals in roles at customers, admins, whatnot, and we talk about this type of story and we are very transparent about addressing the sheer amount of staffing needed. And when we propose something like this, there's an obvious nervousness about what happens to me, what happens to my role. Is this truly a case then where enterprises can go and, you know, as we say, quote unquote, deploy resources to focus on more strategic areas for the business, get into analytics AI, get into partnering with the business units to work on new business models and do less of the knob turn. Um, well, yeah, certainly. I, I would say from, from all my time in, in transformation and outsourcing that, you know, the, the shark has to swim forward. If you're not changing, then you're probably in trouble. Mm -hmm. And if, if you know you don't go ahead and and adopt these sorts of automation approaches and and try and up level the operations teams then there is a risk of you know workloads being put elsewhere or managed by somebody else you i think you're better off going and building yourself your automated private or hybrid cloud and delivering these sorts of services to the business and then up-leveling the team who were previously having to tinker with the low-level cogs and switches and dials in the storage arrays, have them, well, architecting the policies to, to start with, um, but also, as you said, getting involved in higher-order business value-generating technology cap capabilities. Um, you know, the, the CICD tool chain is an obvious cross-chain. For sure. Cross-train. Obviously, there's a lot of roles in, in how managing that whole private cloud or hybrid cloud automation stack, 
you know, it's just really interesting opportunities to grow into things like, as you said, analytics and AI as well. For sure, yeah, and it's a it's a topic we've we've surfaced. I think last year at Accelerate, and I believe we're going to do it again this year at Accelerate, is really just the evolving role of the admin and and the opportunity right now for individuals to invest in new skill sets. Uh, and I've been involved in in some you know C level discussions and panels over the last couple of years where that is that is absolutely happening. Right, the result of some of this automation and. Uh, easier way of transacting coming online means that that you know C levels or, or VPs of IT are looking at investing in their staff. You know, my whole staff is is now trained on containers. Said this one VP of IT for for a golf manufacturing company that was running SAP. I went, oh, that's interesting. You know, SAP and containers, we don't hear that all the time right you know modern apps right it, it you know sap is somewhat traditional but he said yeah this is something that we needed to do right we solved enough of the other problems around you know manual things with automation that i want the whole team to have these skill sets or you know my dbas need to be more well versed in storage or vice versa it's a really interesting right. opportunity and uh, i think that's going to be one of the one of the the areas that we need to help customers out there with with advising on you know yeah, I agree. right going forward and i think that you know the instinct is oh hang on this is a cost saving ruse right and we're going to re- we're going to reduce people costs whereas actually i think there's a there's a lot of value in providing shorter cycle times like we said to to deliver business requirements and when i look at the tco business cases we often produce and our customers have actually had delivered, the, the savings tend to come from other areas than staff. And they're not always the big chunk of costs anyway. We, you know, we deliver savings in the, the power and space. You know, it plays to a lot of ESG concerns. Mm-hmm. We deliver a lot of savings in the, in the software license space, which might not seem intuitive, but when you've got super high performance from Flash, you are not bearing as much CPU load and therefore you don't need as many licenses. You, you know, I, I won't go too deep into it, but you know, saving labor cost, particularly with a global delivery model, it isn't going to deliver you what, you know, something that's going to save the company uh, a load on their, on their bottom line. Well, and talent is, is challenging right now to find right. and, and, and IT talent, you know, one only needs to, you know, travel to various places in the U.S. here or even internationally to realize that there is a, you know, there's a shortage of X, Y, Z admin skills, right? Go talk talk to any, any, you know, hiring manager in IT to try to find cloud architects. And and it's not like there's a ton of them walking around. So if you've got the staffing that you've invested in, wow, you know, keep, keep building out. Right. those various skill sets, which is, you know, one of the interesting outcomes and benefits. But now that we've we've walked through the, the process and we've looked at, you know, the traditional model and where it falls a little bit shorter creates challenges, what we bring to the table with Fusion, Pure as a Service, Pure One, and the flexibility of all the protocols and SLAs and availability and data protection, uh, what are the outcomes that you see? And we've touched on a little of these. I just, I love to bring it right. home as, as more of a, more of a capstone because I think you have four or five different outcomes and what we can actually provide to the business across the SLAs, ease of ease of operation, uh, reduced risk. What, what are those in your mind when you've looked at this? Exactly. So 
you know, first of all, outcome-based service levels. So when you're basing your data storage services on policies, then you can meet that variety of different workloads based on SLA. So you, you have the input and then you deliver the service and there's much less wastage and much quicker time to delivery and much more certainty about what's happening, all guaranteed by service level agreements. The storage is orchestrated. You know, so our point about where you deliver one box and you have to predict how big it's going to be and so there's always a load of waste and that box always stays where it is, that, that's, that's gone. That whole paradigm's gone. You've now got your data sloshing around on a fleet and you orchestrate that based on you know, low risk change and, and, and run operations. Consumption models, pay, paying for what you use through the pure as a service or evergreen flex type models, it's just much more powerful. Now, you know, it's not for me, it's not about the whole CapEx to OpEx. And it, it's not about, oh, well, you have to pay a premium for an as a service model. It's about certainty. You know, I, I can create a fleet model which is tuned to the requirements as they stand. And as they move, then I can adapt. And Pure will underwrite the capacity will be in the right place when it's needed. You'll only pay for what you use and we'll underwrite the performance. I think not many customers, partners, or even pure sellers are aware that we, we will say that um, if you need more performance, we'll come in and change your controllers. Right, right. disruptively, of course. So if there's no outage, then that's just something nobody else can do. Well, and without a lot, of, a lot of fine print, right? I think when we dig into some of the competing offerings, and I won't name names, you get into looking at that level of flexibility, and it comes with many caveats and and right. fine print. Right? You know, Rahul Shah and my team does a great job of digging into the, the competing offerings and says, "Wow, there's just there are a lot of conditions that have to be met. It is not seamless. It is not flexible, and therefore, I love your word, right? You can't hit the level of certainty." that you need to yeah. support the business. I love when I saw your slide and it had the word certainty on it, I went, that is the right word, right? That, that, that is what everybody wants to feel is secure in knowing what they, they are gonna get, what they need or can exactly. stand or contract. Well, when it, maybe it's because of my background. You know, I, I worry more about risk, hmm. risk of change and risk of run and operations than you know, necessarily innovation and, uh, and, and disruption and all that cool stuff that we do in Silicon Valley. Um, there are huge benefits of disruption and innovation and being on the leading edge and being a game changer in your marketplace and all the great stuff that, that Pure has done in the storage industry. But you know, I think it shouldn't be undervalued that delivering certainty and allowing CIOs and CISOs and operations teams to sleep at night because they know that Pure is going to have capacity, performance, and availability where it's needed to deliver the demand. You're only going to pay for what you need. And if things change, we'll rock up and, and, and change it as, as we discussed. And I think the final one, and you mentioned the performance and availability, like we can't 
go away from those hallmarks as much as we talk about these wonderful innovative things it still needs to be fast and it needs to be right. it needs to be up but i think what you're talking about throughout this whole narrative is around simplicity at scale right everybody is looking to scale and even as we move into some of the larger enterprises that becomes a challenge with fleet wide and so i think this model that you've built out really speaks to we want to scale and we want to do it easily how can you help us right well, that simplicity at scale comes from a founding principle of Pure that I think most people that have had anything to do with us know about. But it, it, it does translate into that scale perspective, which is why we've got hyperscalers coming in and knocking on our door. Mm -hmm. And anybody who follows that, because it is you know, the hyperscaler approach to um, managing infrastructure and data at scale is, is quite often leading the way as to what then enterprises adopt. And, and I think Pure is leading the way for a lot of the way that, that hyperscalers do things. And they've, they've worked out that, you know, you can do what the investment banks used to do and buy the chips and put everything together yourself and write all the integration software. Or actually, if there's somebody out there doing everything that you need and they're doing it best to breed and they're keeping it up to date and guaranteeing that it, it will be delivered to you, you just buy that thing. Um, the other one, actually, Rob, before we leave the benefits, is, 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 is the benefit of direct flash. Hmm. Now, this is kind of, we've been talking all business level outcomes and all that cool architectural stuff and service levels, but... The other big difference is that our software writes directly to the flash and there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of operational uh, integrity and a lot of efficiency, um, which translates into not just cost savings and process savings, but like those ESG benefits we were talking about earlier. And we're the only ones doing that. So uh, we've got lots, lots of benefits in all there. And that... Uh, yeah. That is the combination of Pure's portfolio of software and services and technology that when you put it together, it's bigger than the sum of its parts, like the Apple analogy we talked about earlier. I love the Apple analogy and, and I'm glad you, you brought in the, uh, the, the, the direct flash or the all flash at the end. And I know, uh, I think we've got Brian, uh, good old Brian Gold queued up at Accelerate, actually, again, another plug for Accelerate. Guess what, everybody? We're going to talk about it. Uh, Brian is is going to do a session just about those architectural decisions. And it's again, it's not a product pitch. It is firmly woven in the DNA of the company and the architectural decisions. And hint, hint, you know, JD and Andrew, every unplugged episode we do on the Pure Report, they hit one of the 15 architectural decisions. I think we're on three or four, which means we've got more unplugged episodes to come. But uh, if you are curious about those decisions and, and want to learn more about All Flash, then uh, check out those episodes. But Scott, I'm glad you brought those in. If I'm a customer out there and I want to experience or a prospect, right, and I want to experience some of this technology, how would I go about and do that? We have ways, you know, via test drive or, you, you know, do. yeah. Well, there's, there's a whole set of layers which are nicely coming together for us. So you're right. Test drive is, you know, the first way to experience um, our technology in a solutions context. And there's lots and lots of use cases on there. Then we've got the, the solutions lab where we can do a bit more of a curated model. It's, it's on our premises, but it's a bit more dedicated. Then we have the FSA labs, which are looked after by my team. 
and they do all sorts of really cool stuff in there and it can be highly bespoke and tailored to a particular problem. Um, you know, we've got some GPU cards and a flash blade where we're doing facial recognition, um, inference model in machine learning. We've got all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, and then, of course, there's the, the on-premise, the good old-fashioned on-premise POC where you can actually stuff out. But, you know, there's a whole menu of things. And, you know, I, I'm very keen for people that haven't seen Pure's technology to try it out. Because it's all very well, me coming on here and giving you all this rhetoric, but it's much more powerful to, if, you, if, if you've not seen it, to try, try it out and see it for yourself. And in, even if that's, you're a customer with loads of flash array but haven't seen Flashblade um, and, ha- and are starting to see use cases generated from the business or vice versa. Um, and... The other powerful thing is, is talking to other customers that, that use our stuff. You know, the, the thing that gives me the most inspiration is going out and hearing from our customers who have you know, saved a whole load of cycle time or been able to make better business decisions or been able to innovate and, uh, and, and use their data in, in better ways to drive business outcomes that win Formula One races Maybe Chelsea need more flash arrays. Then they've got think, think, Yeah, there. maybe some more player player analysis on the back end. Yeah. Let's put a flash blade on the pitch in goal. Put one on the pitch. Let's let's get one with every every prem team that is out there. Uh that's a great idea. No, I I it's a great way to, to sum it up. And again, if if you're a customer or partner out there and you want to experience, you know, contact your account team, contact your partner. And we'll find a way to get some of this technology in your hands because, as Scott said, the, the best way to learn about it is to discover it yourself. And you know, Scott and I, you're always both, uh, you're we're always both aligned in those business outcomes, right? It's, it, the story that matters is what can what can we do that we couldn't do yesterday as a result of your technology. Not not we are now achieving X amount of IOPS or you know we're experiencing. 150 milliseconds of latency. Those are fine things. And you mentioned performance availability, but it is, you know, we're now able to do this for the business and, and that's always the outcome I love. Um, wh- where are you headed next? You're, you're, uh, you're in the States till the end of the week. You, you said you travel in a bunch. Any, that's any, it. I've, it. I've toured into uh, to Dallas recently, um, been all about in Europe, um, back. And then in a couple of weeks, it's back over to Florida. At that time, it's for a vacation. Uh-huh. I need that. Yeah, the, the Euros just love hitting Florida, right? It's a, it's a nice quick flight. It's always warm. It it's always something fun to do. When you, when you sat through a, a British winter, and you come out with your, still with all your woolen clothing on and you're pale, <laughs> you, need, you need that health. There are no woolies needed in Florida, that is for sure. Um, Scott, this was a pleasure. I, I appreciate you coming on. Let's do it again very soon. Anytime you have anything you want to chat about, I'd love to love to have you on the Pure Report. I, I want to thank you for your time today. No, thank you for having me. It's a privilege. Thanks, Rob. Fantastic. And thank you out there for listening to this episode of the Pure Report. We appreciate your support. Tell a friend, tell a colleague, share the episodes and send in your feedback to Pure Report at purestorage.com, and we will keep the episodes and the great guests like Scott 
coming on to the program. And with that, we will wrap for Pure Storage. And Scott Dedman, this is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you. Thank you.